0: And welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I'm your host, Oli LaLeave. This week, I'm sitting down on chilly waterung country, bloody freezing down here. This week, I'm joined by Leela McDougall from Tadiun in Victoria. Now, Her background takes a little bit to cover. She grew up on a sheep property near Walker, studied fashion, went down the design route, represented Australia as Miss Australia internationally. She runs a mental health charity alongside her husband and each year holds an event called Mellow in the Yellow in the Western District. Now, if you're familiar with it, it's for about 300 people in a canola field and it's a sellout every single year. The charity looks to raise money for mental health in farming communities and they don't rely on any government grants. Now more recently what Leela has been working on and more recently I mean for the last few years was writing a script for a movie which they've just finished filming called The Farmer it looks to highlight the importance and I guess the challenges of mental health in farming communities what is absolutely extraordinary beyond just the movie itself which will come out later this year or early next year is that Leila actually has dyslexia. And so she's been a problem solver for as long as she can remember. And it's an incredible feat in itself. So let's just jump on into this episode. Leila, firstly, thanks for coming. Welcome to my living room. No. (laughs) The podcast studio. Yeah, the
1: podcast studio. (laughs) Great.
0: Um, We're about to have have you come from tonight. Where's home?
1: I've actually come from Melbourne because I've been in Melbourne doing editing stuff yesterday and just stayed there last night thought, come on here. But I'm from Taddyune and the farm with my husband there and we're, yeah, sheep, cattle, cropping.
0: And has that always been home for
1: you? No, no. I'm from a little town called Walker near Armidale and Tamworth in mm-hmm. the New England. So, yeah, no, I've, I was dragged down here on... Yeah, met my husband on his middle year of Marcus. He was working in Walker on a sheep farm and, um, yeah, a merino stud. And I was randomly home for the weekend and, yeah, instead of bringing a stud ram home, he brought me home.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) And your resume, you've got a few different things that you've done over your career. Miss Australia, so obviously involved in (laughs) – I had to bring that one up. But then more recently, acting and directing, producing – the whole no, life.
1: so I didn't direct, but I would love to direct. But that, oh god, trying to do everything would be way too hard, especially your first time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, producing, writing, and acting was what I did in this one. But yeah, I like to keep busy and versatile, and keep growing my brain. And everything's sort of connected. Everything's transferable skills, I guess you could say. You learn something here, and you can transfer it across to something else, and. I've always been a creative person. I'm eccentric and I've, you know, been labelled with that but I'm okay with it now because um, yeah. sometimes you're like, oh, really, am I the eccentric person? I'm like, yeah, I am. I am the batshit crazy person. But <laughs> that's me. So, yeah, so I just like to be creative and doing different things. And, yeah, so that's, I guess, why I've got such random things on my resume, <laughs> which you think, how do they line up? But interesting
0: and, and all kind of align back into
1: yeah. similar
0: parts of nearly yeah. entertaining, performing
1: yeah, Somewhat. yeah, and then yeah, and and agriculture, I guess, like yeah, getting into fashion was the first part, but it would, all came from the Wool Awards, the Australian Wool Fashion Awards, and you know, Dad having merino sheep, and I thought I'm going to become a fashion designer and make everything out of wool and make my dad rich. Didn't happen, but um, you know, so in my whole like fashion career and making clothes, everything I've ever made is made from wool, and still like to make everything from wool, so.
0: Yeah, wow. Tell me more about that. So what, like, well, I guess the influence of your dad's the first part in there. So tell me more about that growing up on the farm and
1: the relationship
0: with your dad, the wool industry. What are those early memories?
1: Yeah, so my family didn't get into farming the traditional way. Like my parents didn't um, inherit a farm or come from the land. Like my dad's father was a solicitor. So, um, But my mum come from a farming background, but because she was a girl and it was a different era, she didn't get... The opportunity to take on the farm when her brother didn't want to do it, they sold up. So, okay. yeah. So she, um, yeah. So she's a an aged care nurse and just you know worked with dad. But then my dad just always had something. He always wanted to work on the land, so he started off as a, a station hand. And when he left school and went and worked in Northern Territory and WA's, you know, in the the good old days, he says, when they used to actually do all the <laughs> droving on horses and things and camp out for weeks on end. Yeah. That sounds so romantic. But then yeah, he they sort of started off leasing land and then slowly working their way up and, and buying a bit and slowly building over that. But they always were in fine wool, um, in in Walker. So yeah. And when you're leasing land, you don't have employees. So that's apparently why my dad had children for free labour. <laughs> So you know and yeah so that's that's how we got into it so doing the sheep and had a few cows and things but we were mainly the wool and fine wool.
0: And so the, the dream of making him rich like how how did you actually go about this I guess <laughs> yeah. how did you go from taking that that dream and ambitious ambition and trying to turn it into a reality?
1: Yeah, God when it's 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 a definitely a romantic idea. Um <laughs> you know, to and um and then you start, and as you get older you realize what is being rich, like it's you know, rich in life or rich with wealth, it's sort of like what's more important. Um and growing up and you know, and watching my parents struggle, working three three jobs each and still trying to run a farm and to get ahead so that they could, you know, get their dream of owning some land and having a farm. And you sort of you don't like seeing your parents struggle. So you're like, how mm. can I make it easier? Oh yeah, okay. We have wool. So if I can make my dad's wool really valuable, um, and people pay heaps of money for it, then we'll have more money. <laughs> I and mean, they won't so. have to work as hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then fine and wool has goes through its cycles and it's you know, but um yeah, it didn't didn't really work. But we were rich in life. We had a very lucky childhood, my brother and I growing up and actually getting to work out on the farm and and we had horses growing up in the New England. It's, you know, everyone's got horses, so with the horses and, yeah, even though you're like, oh, do I really go help shearing oh, when you're a kid? But you look back and it's it's beautiful experiences. Like you wouldn't change it for the world now. Teachers so much you,
0: family time, isn't it, when yeah. it comes down to that? And it's like nearly like a celebration.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mum was very active in helping on the farm too, so seeing – my mum worked as well, was like, oh, girls can do it too. Um, you know, because traditionally girls don't go into farming. But um, yeah, seeing mum work just as hard as dad was like, oh, okay, I can do this too.
0: And like, did you have, as you were going through high school, did you have ambitions of the farming side or like was that design area really kind of calling you in?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely the, the design area. I was definitely a creative, creative person. And yeah, and I, and I, well, Sometimes I think, oh, yeah, maybe if I stayed home on the farm, it would be different and, you know, took on dad because my brother's now a builder as well because mm-hmm. we, we went through the drought, the 06 drought, 7 drought, and, um, yeah, my brother seen that and was like, yeah, hell no, I'm not being a farmer. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's a builder and he's a very successful foreman and things in Newcastle. But So my dad still has the little bit of land. Um, so sometimes I think, oh, maybe if I stayed home and – It'd be different, but no, there's always something. I've got to be creative. Even just sitting at home, I've got to be making something with my hands or just making something or doing something to keep the creative side of my brain working all the time. Um, yeah, I think I'd go nuts if I did anything else.
0: And tell me a little bit more about that, like the creative side, because um, yeah. I've got in my notes that you're actually dyslexic.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Gosh, I'm severely dyslexic. Don't still today. Yeah. Yeah. It never leaves you. No, it's something you've always. um, So never give me any. That's why I never really got into acting until you know I always loved the idea of acting, but I was always too scared because I can't read a script. Yeah. Um, and then to learn the lines and all those sorts of things. So at school, I never did any. Like even just getting up on stage was nearly crippling with anxiety. Like I couldn't even speak in front of anyone. I was this quiet little shy kid that never said boo. Yeah. Which is weird because now people are like, oh, my gosh, you'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so severely dyslexic. And in year eight, I remember mum and dad talking to the school that I went to at the time and they were like, why isn't she, you know, keeping up with all the other kids? And they, they basically told mum and dad that I was simple. I was just going to be a bit simple. I wasn't yeah. I was like, and they were like, well. Oh. I don't know if that's right. Like she seems fine to us, and you know, as a parent, you you always think there's nothing wrong with your child. But they were like, they were like, no, I don't, I don't think she's simple. So I was so lucky again that my parents just took the initiative to work really hard. So they sent me away to like a boarding school. I was a day girl, Mm -hmm. and within a week of being there, they picked up that I was dyslexic in year nine, and I went back to kinder basically and had to learn to read and write again. I had a reader and writer in all my exams right through to the end of year 12. Um, so I didn't sit normal exams like you guys did in a big hall. I'd sit in the library with my reader and writer next to me and do all my exams. And, um, yeah, and, and you know, I got extra time because it take me longer to read things. But, yeah, even now if you give me a piece of paper to read out loud, it sounds like googly-goog doesn't like something from here coming out here, it just doesn't come out. Or if I read something, it doesn't, I I can read it to myself, but if it's more than a page, the information is just lost. It's just, I don't comprehend it. Or I look at a page and everything's all over the place. And sometimes if I handwrite things, you'll see like, what the fuck is she trying to say? Like, what has she written? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was why I never really got into acting. And then I worked out that I had a photographic memory. Um, when I went to uni and worked out that if I, I can remember and I've only got to sort of read lines th- three or four times and then it's it's in my head. So just learning differently. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. And they say most dyslexic people are creative because mm-hmm. they problem-solve differently. And, yeah, when you hear of a lot of other dyslexic people, or like Tom Cruise is dyslexic, he's never read a script in his life, he gets them all put on audio. Kira Knightley, um Richard Branson, there's mm. so many people. He's got a foundation that he supports called Made by Dyslexia, and in the UK, and yeah, it's amazing that all these studies they've done on dyslexic brains. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so yeah, so that's I guess that's the creative side. And I was never going to get into fashion design with my end of score, my UAI as it used to be called. <laughs> I got mm. got forty nine point five. And you needed a 99 to get into fashion. Never going to get in that way. Oh, my God. Uh, that high? yeah, because it's Probably so competitive. Because everyone wants to get in, so they've got to weed weed people out. So seems ridiculous, doesn't it? When you look back on it, because there's yeah. no correlation between no, <laughs> how no, you not can at all. Go in a
0: belonging essay in English, and yeah. how you can get into fashion. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So um so yeah I had to think of a different way of getting into it and there was this competition the Australian Wool Fashion Awards so I entered it every year at school and then yeah once I got to year 11 I made a wedding dress and yeah won a scholarship to go and study in Sydney. Wow. So that was my little my opening door really into the the big big world of <laughs> you know fashion. fashion yeah.
0: I heard th- only this week I heard the most interesting story about dis dyslexia and um and... agriculture and well, so the first part is the stat that apparently forty three percent of Australians are actually, um, what is it like the literacy is it like a eleven or twelve year old or something?
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah, I
0: have to chase down where that one came from, but I heard someone speaking about it. Then the second part was this story of this guy who was a farmhand, and he was a really good employee, but then um, the this the farm manager kept getting messages late at night and emails and whatnot, and the person. He was like, oh, we're communicating over WhatsApp. You can't follow simple communications. Anyway, the bloke would work till like 7, 7.30 at night every night and it was because he was so terrified because of his dyslexia to go home because he didn't want to like, be there for his kids to read them a bedtime yeah. story because he couldn't do it. Yeah. So he got his wife to do it. And then why the messages would come late at night was because he actually got his wife to help him understand what the messages and orders were that day and then communicate that back to his boss. It was, like, incredible when it was around communication.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense because, yeah, most dyslexic people, they do try and hide it mm. and that's why it, they say it doesn't get picked up at school because they find different ways of – so, yeah, like even at school when um, we'd have to re- – you know how oh, there's teachers, it's horrible, they're like, okay, everyone's got to read a sentence. Oh, and,
0: and it just melts in each. Yeah, air.
1: And so, I'd count how many people were in front of me and then I'd get to the sentence that was mine and I'd practice and practice and practice it so they wouldn't have got to it. So, I didn't hear anything else that anyone else was saying. Gotcha. Or my girlfriend that I used to sit with in class, I'd get her, she'd whisper at the sentence to me and I'd just repeat what she'd say. And so, teachers were just not picking up on it um, huh. because I'd you know, you find different defense mechanisms. But, yeah, one of the biggest things is just the fear of people not thinking you're dumb because you can't read because it's something so many people just can do so easily. And you're like, why can't I freaking read? And, you know, traditionally if you couldn't read, you were labeled as someone who was dumb and illiterate. And so it's it's finding ways to hide it. Like I'm the same, I can't read. Like once the books get over, you know, a sentence, a page with the kids, like my husband does all the reading with the kids um i don't because they're quick learners they just yeah, going to start yeah, reading <laughs> yeah and then and they're just like why i don't and it's it's embarrassing to think you know in the next couple of years they're going to be like why can't you read mum? i mean this is something we am gonna have to and and they could be dyslexia is highly hereditary as well so you know chances are one of them's going to be dyslexic as well yeah that'll be yeah interesting watching their learning process to see if if they are and I'm picking things up in my son, like little things that he does, and I'm like, "Oh, great, you poor bastard, you're gonna be dyslexic! Yay!" <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's that's that doesn't surprise me that that's how he's got around it.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, just ultimate problem solves, really, is how mm. it
1: sounds. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's actually a skill on your resume in the, in Europe now. You can write down dyslexic thinking mm. as a skill set. you go.
0: Now today, you mentioned like you're back down in in Yeah. Yeah done the fashion side of things, did the Miss Australia part. Uh,
1: stop bringing
0: it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to address it.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: What spurred you on? Was it because of the fashion side of things that spurred you on to apply for it? And what actually? Um.
1: No. So it was more that my husband and I had the charity, Live Rural, for, uh-huh. um, for, and I was just like how the hell can we get maximum exposure for this? Like how can I? And the biggest, the greatest tool I have To advertise and promote agriculture and, you know, health, like the lack of health and resources in agriculture is myself. I'm the biggest tool that I have to spread that message. So how can I get myself in as many places as possible um, to spread that message? So a friend was like, oh, you should do this this Mrs. Australia thing, you'd be hilarious in it. And I'm like, oh. so I, I went and did it. And it was, it was fun. Like you get to get dressed up and, you know, not often do you get to wear a ball gown around and talk about a topic that you're really passionate about. Um, and because my topic that I was passionate about was so different to everyone else's and they were like, oh, wow, this actually is a real issue. I think they were like, oh, okay, we'll give her mm. a crack. And, yeah, and going to America was wow, wow. Really? Like, wow, they do pageants in America. Yeah. Like, I like, just up,
0: like the TV shows.
1: Yeah, it, it really was. Like I had to get up at 4am to get my hair and makeup done every morning and, you know, and it's hair like this, like huge. And, and I'd go back to bed and all the other girls would get the shits because they're like, how have you worked out how to go back to bed and not mess up your hair? And I'm like, mate, I'm tired. I yeah. will find a way to do anything.
0: Priority number two is the hair. Yeah. Number yeah. one is sleep.
1: Yeah. Tell me more about the charity. Yeah, so my husband and I, yes, we've we've both got um, strong mental health issues on on both sides of our family. Like my husband's lost his father to uh, his father, his uncle to suicide. My mum's attempted suicide. My dad's bipolar. Um, like there's a lot of mental health stemming through both sides of our family. Um, and then the more you, the older you get, the more you realise there's there's not many resources there to support people in mental health, and there was. Yeah, you know, when we started the charity in 2014, it was still a topic that wasn't really talked about that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and even starting the charity was a like a lot of people were sort of very hesitant to to get involved. Whereas now it seems to be you know becoming such a much normal conversation to have. Um, and then not just that, it's just the healthcare of doctors, uh, of farmers, and people working the ag sector. Like they just don't have time to go and get a just a health check. Mm. So that was the other thing we joined with the, the National Centre for Pharma Health to do farmer um, health checks. Mm-hmm. So we'd, you know, I'd ring everyone in our little community and be like, okay, we're doing health checks on this day and you don't have a choice, you're coming. And they'd all have to come and have their health checks on that day. <laughs> and They'd be like, oh, my God, we better go. So she just leaves us alone. Yeah. Um. And, you know, it was good because so, some of those checks led to, you know, they had underlying health issues that they hadn't addressed and things. but. Yeah, um, and, and trying to provide support and getting um, the conversation started around mental health and just general health because we all know that in rural communities, you know, the the resources are, are not as great as they are in the city. Like even you know, just now since COVID yep. to get in to see a psychologist, you know, six months in the city, like hmm. imagine what that's like in the country. You can't even get in, let alone a psychiatrist. Um, and then to get in to see a GP is a two-week wait. Um, yeah. And by the time you get in, you're better. Well, you think you are, but there might be underlying issues. So then everyone just puts off their physical health. And then when their physical health gets so low, your mental health gets low. Like, even just most farmers have got a bad back or a bad knee, or, you know, they just persevere and then they self medicate with either alcohol or just opioids or something. And then that all has this flow on effect to the mental health. And it's just, yeah, there's the lack of resources and support. And then, country people aren't the squeaky wheel, are mm. they? Like you you don't hear them protesting about the lack of resources or different things. So someone has to be the squeaky wheel to try and get it there, but it's getting into getting the right people to hear your message is quite hard when you don't have those networks. Um, so that was, yeah, part of the charity was just trying to get get the message out there and show people and then also provide support. So we did the mental health first aid courses um, with money that we raise so that, you know, everyone in the community can go and do these courses for free. So that if they see someone struggling, they've got the right toolbox to, to help or mm. to provide support or put, point them in the right direction. And then, you know, the pharma health checks just to, to get them to get a health check. Some of them hadn't been to the doctor in like 10 years. And you think, oh my God, you're bright red. You have cholesterol issues. Like <laughs> you need to come and see a doctor or, um, and just the the alcoholism in the country um you know it's there's the pressure to drink it's not cool to to drink and and then that becomes you know it starts off at 18 or even you know younger 16 and the confidence that alcohol gives you to go out and then it becomes a you can't go out and socialize unless you're drunk and then that flows on till you're 60 70 and you know it takes more to get to that point where you're comfortable to go out and and socialize when you're drunk, so they're drinking every day and, and, you know, that's not good for your health and then they get cholesterol or overweight and then that affects their mental health and so it's just, yeah, all those sorts of things. It's just trying to – It's a spiral. To, yeah. And I, and
0: I love the way that you guys have gone about it though because you've, as you mentioned, you got the mental health first aid course as the health checkups but then also – so I had no idea that uh, you were the ones behind Mellow in the Yellow.
1: Yeah, yeah. The big old so, lunch. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, so that was one of those crazy ideas. I come home one day because um, I was working in Hamilton, so I've got a long time sitting in a car to come up with a lot of crazy ideas. And I'm a bit weird. I sit in complete silence in the car. Do you? Yeah. All the time? Most of the time, yeah. If Sometimes wow. I'm like, oh, I might listen to a little bit of music. Most of the time I'm in complete silence. I love just silence because I can just think and my brain can just go you know, wow. and do weird. Yeah. So I just like that time to think. So I'd come up with the craziest ideas and my husband would be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, coming home with like, I was like, we're going to do an event. Like, and I did get the idea from the Bali banquet, um, like the Bali banquet, but here. And I'm like, and it's going to be mellow in the yellow and we're going to have a lawn in the middle of the canola crop. And he's like, Ooh. Um, and yeah, so the first year we, and you know, starting anything, it's trying to get a committee on board and other people that that are willing to take the risk with you because it is a risk. Um, you know, when you first start any event, a lot of people try and get, you know, funding and grants and all that sort of stuff. But you can't, for me, running anything, you can't rely on a government or a, a funding to be sustainable. It has to be sustainable on its own. Yeah. So we put a lot of our own money into starting the event because, you know, you're waiting for months, six months, 12 months to get any grants or, then even when you get that, it's you know this much, and you've still got to find the the other stuff. So we just for the first three years, it didn't it didn't make a profit. But um, you've just got to pe- keep persevering. And then you know now it has been going ten years. Um, this is its tenth year. Uh, and it's it's amazing now. You know we sell out in the first hour, and we have three hundred people. And you know when we first started, I couldn't even get people to join the committee. Um, and oh, wow. then as it goes, you know people get on and they see that it's fun to run and the impact that it was having. And when we did first start it, admittedly, like mental health was still a quite a taboo topic. So they're like, oh, you're going to have a guest speaker come and talk about mental health and suicide. Like that's a bit morbid. But it's amazing. It gave people the opportunity to share their story, which I, you know, wasn't expecting that to be the case. But once one person stands up and shares their story and you know everyone's had a you know a few drinks and they're a bit more comfortable they start sharing their stories and it circulates it was quite incredible so now everyone's just loves to come and have a yarn for the day and um yeah this year we've got Shan, Shana Warren coming from sober in the country as yep. a guest speaker and she's amazing she's been a great help like just with just mentoring I just ring her sometimes I'm like what am I doing with my life oh my <laughs> god and she's like she's so good she's um, incredible yeah she is she's a great she's a champion of other people as well. She's always there to help and lift everyone up, which is, it's amazing to find someone that can do that. So yeah, that was, that was mellow in the yellow and it, yeah, it's amazing now. Like I'm not on the committee anymore. I'm still like a, a director of the charity, but I'm not on the committee. But I had a great mentor, um, Deb Bain say to me once, cause I was starting to get a bit burnt out and you're like, oh, you know, and she just said, when you can leave something you've created and know that it's still going to continue, you know what you've created is a success. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's really true. So if I can walk away from it and know that it's going to continue and its message and its legacy is going to continue, then what I've created is successful and I can, I can leave it to the next people to, to do it. So it's really nice to go to the event now and. Not just be, relax. Yeah, Fear I can't Nintendo. though. I don't. I'm. I'm really bad. I'm not the best at socializing. So I'm always. I either have the camera and I'm taking photos, or I'm helping out in the bar or cleaning up. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not so. I need a not job. Just standing around. No, I need a job to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's probably my social anxiety. I'm not. I'm not the greatest at it. So I always like to have a job, and then that's my way of interacting with people. If I'm taking food around, or yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and because I don't drink either, so I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm not. I don't. That's my way of sort of edging into conversations like, Hey, you want some food? And then you're know, nice, a yeah. yeah. Used to drink a lot in excess, but now I'm like, you know, not the best version of myself when I drink, so
0: Oh that's cool. It's good that you realise that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank regional client council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well being and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in AG, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organizations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like AG vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www au, and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you.
0: So tell me about your latest project, which is the one which you've just been spending a bit of time in Melbourne. Oh, on my gosh. It's consumed farmer.
1: my life. Um, yeah.
0: How long, how long, well, yeah, firstly, let's chat about what is it and why have you decided to do it?
1: Yeah, well, I guess during COVID when everyone's locked up, um, you know, you start to think, oh, well, I can't get out and spread the message physically with myself at the moment because we can't go anywhere. But what was everyone doing? We we're all sitting at home watching Netflix movies, binge watching stuff. And you're more likely to watch a movie than a documentary or a a TV series because you can lose yourself in the story. Um, so that's when I was like, oh, this is if we can make a movie that's got the message in it somehow. But. Still be entertaining and people can relate to the characters and, and put, you know, find bits of themselves in the characters, then maybe we could really hit this message home with millions of people if we can get them to watch it. So then I was like, right, now I need to find a story. And then because of all the work that we'd been doing in that sector as well, I've got lots of stories and interviews and things that I've done with people. So I had a really big bank, knowledge bank of the issue and the story and then living the life as well. So yeah, I took the script took me 2 years to write. Um and just you know because it has to be authentic, it had to be real. Like we watch a lot of movies in Australia that are about country Australia and we all sit and watch it and go, "Eh, that's not what we're like. Like mm-hmm. we don't dress like that. We don't talk like that. We're not all bogans. We're not, you know, we're not all 80 years old." Um so the story had to be so authentic and so real and like even just down to the language had to be the way that we speak and the clothes and the way we work and the relationships even just with the animals that are in the film and the relationships between friends and, you know, it's, it's a way of life. We are a culture. So, like, the, the culture behind it had to be spot on. So, yeah, just fact-checking everything. Um,
0: and you need that sense of, I guess, pride. You want the
1: yeah. people who
0: you're trying to celebrate to actually become the real champions of it and just yeah lift it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, as soon as they see anything that's not authentic, they'll disconnect from the story. And then the people we're wanting this message to hit won't be connected to the story. Um, so, in the filming process, my heart, that was his job. He was like, so he, okay, this new word, he's like, continuity, it's all about continuity. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, no, Leela, continuity, it has to look real. And he'd be like, the sheep have to look crutched. And he'd, like, get in there and, like, crutch a heap of sheep so that when we did the shot of them outside in the catching pens or whatever, they looked crutched. I'm like, wow. So he went above and beyond to make it look so authentic and real. That it was, that it just was. Yeah, that it, it just <laughs> yeah. was. Yeah, well, even the shearing scenes, you know, we we actually were shearing that week, so we had to do it that week. The ones that he's most disappointed with is um because it wasn't harvest and it wasn't hay season. He gotcha. went and rolled out bales of hay. In the paddock, so that it looked like rows of hay, and then we rebaled the hay. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you,
0: <laughs> you better not tell too many people that.
1: No, <laughs>
0: authenticity, Jeez. yeah, um,
1: yeah. So some things were hard to get, but so and it's not it's not a comedy by any means. The story it's got a really it's a hard hitting message. It's really raw. It's true. Like the characters are so um, truthful in in the way that they come across on screen and um, it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking story, but there is hope in there, you know, and, and the underlying message is that, you know, this is the this is the outcome of what happens in a community when there are lack of resources. This is the worst thing that can happen and it's happening every 10 days in Australia. Um, and we need people and the governments and, you know, people with money to come and help and make sure that country communities aren't missing out when it comes to their healthcare because if it keeps going this way these things are going to keep happening and it's getting worse and then the next thing is as well like who's going to be our future generations on the farm you know if my kids see my husband struggling all the time and it's a slog and you know you never get a day off as if they're going to want to be farmers um so we need to to be showing them that it's just not a high, and it is beautiful. Like most of the time, you know, we we love farming, but you know, even just now, the El Nino's come back, um, and all the currents have changed. And they're saying we're going into another dry, and everyone's just gone into PTSD mode in you know New South Wales and Queensland from the last drought. And they've just they're so- selling stock left, right, and centre because they're scared we're going to go into another drought. And that was that was. I did a trip in two thousand and eighteen with the kids a nanny, Maltese, Malta, a girl from Malta in the horse truck, and we just stopped in and, you know, had a chat with farmers as we went around and just, you know, stopped in and have a cup of tea. And it was the most heartbreaking. I was going to do a <clears throat> like a little documentary on it, but once I started interviewing people as I went in and talking to them, I was like, I feel like I'd be exploiting them if I shared their stories because they were so heartbreaking, you know, and they were just, oh, my God, it was yeah, even just like I broke down on the side of the road and the hydraulics on my truck wouldn't work to get the thing back up. And I was I couldn't find anyone to come and help me. And a header driver that someone just randomly goes, oh, there's this bloke there, like it was near Coonabarabin, um, and they're like, he'll come and help you. Give him a call, see if he can come help. And he came out and he was a header driver and he'd just bought two years before, just bought a brand new header for $500,000 or, you know, whatever they're worth and had never been out of the shed. And he's still making repayments on that vehicle, um, but didn't know whether to sell it or not because he didn't know you know, do I keep it because we might get rain and get a harvest next year or whatever, but it's sort of like it was that huge flow-on effect of the the drought that was having not just on the farmers but the people they employ and then you work out that a farmer over 12 months probably has 28 different employees of what, you know, from their stock agent right through to, you know, their agronomist, financial manager, shearers, all those sorts of things, 28 people. And then that's so that's 28 families that they're, helping with an income, you know, all the farmers in that community and then that's the money that also then goes into the community to fund the, the dress shops and the builders and the takeaway shops and sort of things. So it's if it's not going well here, that money's and that employability is not trickling through the community and then the whole community feels the effect of it and then then it affects the mental health and then it's just this big snowball.
0: What's amazing, yeah, you only have to look at, I don't know, towns like Finlay like in mm-hmm. the last drought and people leaving. Well and it's and it's the story across every rural community that's an agricultural community. It's a family leaves because of I guess the conditions and that other part of that family might be the school teacher or the nurse or whatever it is. And so it's like all the support services that in these agriculture communities that start to dissipate and disappear. Yeah. And it has huge flow on impacts. And often those people aren't then coming back. Yeah. Once they've gone.
1: Yeah, so, so Deakin University's just, um, started, like, just put money into a program where they're funding rural, um, medical students to go and study medicine so that then they can go back to their communities and, and be GPs or, um, you know, healthcare professionals, um, so, you know, that's, it's a great initiative as well. But then it's also, how do we keep those, want, get those doctors to go back? And what, you know, once you get a taste of the city, you're going to want to go back. And, um, you know, it's trying to work out how we keep our country communities thriving and fun places to be. And it's, it's not just, yeah, there's so many facets in it, isn't there, to try and work out how we can just keep these communities thriving because ultimately, isn't it, it's like it's food. It's We need food to survive and without it, it's going to cripple society. So we need to keep it going and I think health is, is a massive part of that. If we can keep our communities healthy, um, then... You know, hopefully we can keep and, you know, bringing people into want to be in them and work in those health sectors and keep them in the health sector in rural communities. Um, next I've got a friend who owns medical centers and her biggest job is keeping GPs in her, you know, practices. They do their, their, um, country placement and then they're gone straight away. Oop, yeah, yeah. See yeah. you later. Back to the city. Um, and it's a beautiful life. I don't know how people live in the city. What those, like, I did <laughs> uni. I went to uni in Sydney, and I loved it. Now I go back, I'm like, oh my god, how did I ever live here?
0: Yeah, now it's interesting.
1: Yeah, so that's there. Yeah, that's the whole thing with the so. Then well, you know we can get it into cinemas. It's and on streaming services, and hopefully that will have a big impact and. Um, get the message out there and try and get more funding and more resources coming back into room communities because I'll see this. This is the effect that that lack of resources is going to have, and it does have. Um,
0: and so, is this the first part in a bigger dream of rolling these out more regularly, or what are you hoping it's a conversation starter, or what are you looking at? Yeah, for I'd love to it to be
1: a conversation starter, and then um, you know, if the movie could make money, which you know, movies don't really ever make money, but. <laughs> um, if it could make money, like putting that money back into these communities and resources and, you know, it would be great to be able to fund a psychologist in, you know, rural hubs that, you know, specialises with for rural mental health or, you know, spon- like sponsored GPs and, you know, accommodation is one of the biggest things to keep GPs in small towns, you know, even just being able to provide accommodation to keep GPs in towns, I could love it. Just, yeah, I'm just putting money back into the area that needs it because um, you need money to do anything, which is ridiculous.
0: You do. Because we all need it to It's the to cog settle. that keeps everything going, isn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah. And then yeah, and then it'd be great to, you know, be telling more rural stories um, and championing our real champions in this country. Like uh, a lot of our TV shows and movies at the moment, we're kind of glorifying criminals nearly. You know, we're seeing so many films about criminals and murderers and things. It's like they're not the people we should be putting in the history books and and remembering and and telling our kids their stories. We should be sharing stories of actual pioneers, of champions in in our country that are doing great things. And there's a lot of those people that live in the country.
0: Absolutely. Now, I've got one question which I ask everyone that come on, Mm -hmm. and I'll be interested in your response. So, if you had the chance to go and chat to your 10 students about a career in agriculture, look. Why should they consider it today and what would be your message to them?
1: Yeah, well, funny that I am a school teacher. Um, (laughs) Teach um, wood, metal, and textiles and food um, and art sometimes. And I'd love a really amazing ag school out in the Western Districts like for for kids. Um, In New South Wales, there's a lot of ag schools and there's not really that many here in in Victoria, But, yeah, there's so many jobs in the ag sector. Like wasn't it wasn't – I don't know how many years ago when they did the study. I think it was just before COVID. So for every kid that goes and studies ag, they've got five do- jobs to choose from, whereas in other degrees you've got five people going for the one job. So there are just so many jobs and it's so versatile and, you know, it can be creative, it can be scientific, it can be physical work. If you like working outside, there's just so many facets and – and you're contributing to society in a way that no other industry really does. You're you're, su- you're the survival of human beings, really. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much new stuff happening, you know, with science and the way we're trying to, you know, create a better environment. And it all starts with us. And the one thing that shits me is like, you know, people in the city or people that live in, you know, suburban areas, they they go, oh, farmers, you know, the cows are farting and making too much, you know. Um, carbon and blah, blah, blah. it's like, but have you ever thought that in the city there's not one piece of natural environment at all? Not one little thing, everything that is natural to that environment is completely destroyed and been made by man. Whereas you come out to the country and you might see a fence or a wind turbine and think, oh, that's destroying the environment, but you can just see it. And you can. Pick it out of the natural environment, whereas in the city, it's well, yeah, it's, it's a Taylor Sheridan quote like everything's the, the destruction's been disguised because everything's destroyed. Um, so it's a good quote, that one, yeah, yeah, he's a very he's, he's got some good ones. Um, he's
0: a wise man,
1: yeah, so yeah, it's sort of yeah, this is why wouldn't you want to be a part of an industry that's so forward thinking and in the future of the world, really? Mm-hmm.
0: For sure, I agree completely. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a chat.
1: No, it's good. I, I am, am good, good at talking. So <laughs> yeah, <you'll, laughs> I, I love a chat, <laughs> especially when it's you get on your passion project and you're like, ah, I want to tell everyone about it. So no, thanks for.
0: Oh, we can't I wait mean. to keep our eyes peeled, and we'll, I'm sure we'll find out a whole lot more about it in the yeah. coming months.
1: Yep, that sounds good. Thank you.
0: If you're enjoying our podcast, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend. It actually makes a huge difference if you can hit follow as it will help it come up in other areas. Now, next week, we've got a little surprise. We've got a new team member. So let's get to know her. Look after yourself. Stay safe. Stay sane. See you next week. Bye.